This is Patrick Henningsen, and you're listening to On the QT at 21wire.tv. Accessing confidential data. Welcome to On the QT at 21wire.tv. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, we got a little special podcast uh, this week. This is a post-election special. And normally with On the QT, uh, the first 30 minutes are free. And then afterwards, the final hours for uh, members at 21wire.tv. This is a special uh, open episode uh and we've also got a special guest so we're doing something a little bit different this week and this is going to be available uh on alternatecurrentradio.com in its entirety uh this week uh it's a very important discussion uh there's a lot going on in the aftermath of the u.s presidential election and the victory of donald trump over hillary clinton and to to help me break this down and get into some of the uh, uh details and uncomfortable crevices uh in the gutters of uh, washington dc and elsewhere is a special guest uh you would have known him from the sunday wire program uh his name is basil valentine and he's joining us uh from london thank you so much basil for this first time on on the qt and uh special episode a lot to talk about great to be with you patrick yeah thanks for thanks for joining us and uh and you know just just from my point of view, I want to cover a couple of things. There's a lot of noise um, on the streets of uh, various cities on the East Coast and West Coast. There's a lot of anti-Trump protests, a lot of stuff generating online. I've seen protests in London as well. Uh, this is unprecedented. So there's kind of this uh, globalized uh, activist uh, movement uh, opposing the U.S. elections. Um, but it's really the same globalist, activized or globalized activist movement that uh, got behind uh, the election of Barack Obama in such a big way in 2008. If you can remember, that was a kind of a European event as well. So we're in a new age of uh, the globalization of information. And uh, so, and also the opposition uh, is also globalized as well as the support. Um, And in this case for the democratic uh, party candidates, um, either supporting them or opposing the Republicans. I see a pattern developing here. We're going to discuss some of this uh, reports of a voter fraud, election fraud. We want to look at both sides uh, because there's a lot going on in that department. But, um, you know, just what are your impressions? It's been almost a week, Basil. So, you know, as the dust is settling or not, uh, what, you know, how are you feeling? First of all, what, what were your feelings like on election night? Uh, shock. You know, I normally like backing an outsider, as you know, but I couldn't bring myself to uh, to stake hard-earned cash on the Donald because it really did look like one way or another the fix was in and he was going down. Yeah, and Julian Assange said, said as much, didn't he, in his last interview, uh, the uh, John Pilger yeah. interview. He said that yes, Trump exactly. will not be allowed to win. There's That's too right. much li- lined up I, against I, him. I, Absolutely. I took him at his word, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the neocons appeared to be clustered around Hillary. 
And uh, if there was to be vote tampering, then uh, it looked like it was going to be in Hillary's favour with the realignment that has taken place with the Trump candidacy, uh, where you've got, I mean, Dick Cheney, George W. Bush, uh, all sorts of other hawks said they were voting and publicly stated that they were voting for Clinton. That's right. Yeah. William Crystal, I mean, I, th- I think William Crystal as well. A lot of the, basically the whole neoconservative establishment, except possibly John Bolton. Well, but, he's now angling to become Secretary of State. Exactly. Well, he's more of an opportunist, I think, because I don't think I he think was. So. I think that most of that noise is coming from John Bolton himself. I jolly well hope so. Yeah, yeah. Because he was, uh, I think he was really behind the Jeb Bush campaign. Uh, that would have been his candidate of choice. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And uh, and the big the big money was behind Marco Rubio, of course, the the billionaire uh, Paul Singer, and people yes. like this, and they're sort of and then they move their money towards Trump. I think uh, the Sheldon Allisons of the world, the Robert Singers of the world, I think they, they they do move their money around towards who they think is the favorite. So in terms of the U.S. billionaire class, Basil, and I want I'm asking you this from a bookmaker's perspective. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the Let's look Where at the American a bookmaker, Patrick, you know, anyway, if, go on. <laughs> if, if you look at the American billionaire class and look at them like big time horse punters, and I'm talking about the sort of horse punters that own horses that punt big money on yeah. favorites. You know who I'm talking about, right? Yes. So so if you look, I liken their behavior to that of these big, um, you know, royal enclosure cats at the big horse races. What, you know, how, how do you see? Um, is is that do you see the parallel between the uh, the well, gambling of, world and the political world? A lot of world? people lost a lot of money. You know, I know a friend of a friend who had a thousand dollars on Hillary to win the election, and most of those the billionaire class. Well, in some cases, like the Koch brothers, they pretty much kept their money in their pockets. The Koch brothers, if you remember, who I think are just about the biggest owners of all, or who have been, they initially backed Scott Walker. As yes, have. that's right. That's right. He was sunk without trace within two weeks. You know? <laughs> His candidacy went absolutely nowhere. That's right. Uh, then they shifted to Rubio, uh, and of course he went nowhere. They couldn't bring themselves to put money in Donald Trump's pockets. No way. No. Because they knew they couldn't own him. So they basically backed away from what I can tell. Now I've seen that their ugly faces are resurfacing. They're trying to get close to Trump. Right. Uh, yeah. As, of course, is Bolton. Now, if I can just uh, check in a little bit here. Speaking to the BBC Trump advisor, Walid Fares. Oh, was, gosh. Yeah. Says... Ripping up the Iran deal is maybe too strong a word. He's going to take that agreement. It's been done before in international context and then review it. He will take the agreement, review it, send it to Congress, demand from the Iranians to restore a few issues or change a few issues, and there will be a discussion. Now, previously, uh, Trump had referred to it as the worst deal ever negotiated, apparently, and a disaster, and that tearing it up would be his number one priority. <laughs> so we've already seen Trump move away from some of his positions. I mean, he flip-flopped uh, within 24 hours on Obamacare. As soon as he'd met Obama, and Obama pointed out the provision of, uh, you know, um, pre-existing conditions and all the rest of it, uh, Trump backtracked on that, and, you know, large sections of Obamacare may well remain. 
Now we're seeing that the Iran deal may well stay in place as well. And, of course, John Bolton, writing in uh, the New York newspapers, uh, has said to Trump, rip up the Iran deal and make me your Secretary of State. So, Oh, God. I, all the balls are in the air. Everything's in play, basically. Uh, you know, I think it's a case of uh, everybody wants to curry favor with the new head boy at school, you know? Yeah. So people are buying him sweets and then dusting his chair for him. And that, you know what I mean? And they're, they're taking his lunch and putting it on the table so he doesn't have to queue. They're doing absolutely everything they can because he didn't have many friends in the Republican Party. The few that did stand by him, well, Chris Christie is still somewhat tainted by Bridgegate. He was the first sort of uh, fawning favourite of Trump's, wasn't he? He ripped up mm -hmm. his own candidacy and uh, was the first to stand beside him right. uh, when all the others were still throwing brickbats. And, and he stuck by him even throughout all the pussy-grabbing scandals and all the rest of it. When I mean, the papers at that time were saying that Trump's campaign had imploded, that it was over, you know. That's right. Uh, yeah. Giuliani stuck with him as well, you know. And yeah. one or two others like Jeff Sessions, Bob Corker, you know. So, but generally, he, as we know, he has very few, well, he did have, I should say, very few friends in the Republican Party. But all that is changing by the hour. You know? Well, Trump's a businessman. And I just want to point out that, you know, in politics, you make friends. In business, you make partners. And so I think that Trump will be looking for partners, um, but the people he can work with. So, yeah, the people he can work with and to get things done. But he's yeah. going to run, he's going to run into the reality uh, of the swamp that uh, his supporters would like him to drain. Um, unfortunately, the swamp, uh, the guys controlling the draining uh, spigot, <laughs> the, those are reptiles as well. So it's, you know, well, they, the, they drain it, but what they do is just recycle it upstream. So it all comes back around the other way. The yeah. pipe doesn't go to the ocean. It just goes to the top of the swamp again, you know? Yeah, exactly. It just re re recirculates around just again. Recirculates. <laughs> I know it's a terrible reality, but it's true. So let me just start with, um, you know, the uh, the the people surrounding him. Okay, so the, you have to look at, you have to understand how the establishment's mentality is, and to understand the establishment, you need to understand British politics, and you need to understand how Britain managed to rule the world uh, from this tiny island uh, for many hundreds of years, and the same way that uh, Britain was allowed to basically. Um, get into the, they got into the EU more more likely than not not because they wanted to be in the EU Basil they got into the EU so they could make a pig's breakfast of it okay and then when the time is right but it was convenient for America obviously to have Britain um, in the EU uh, from being able to for America to have its hand uh, in European and geopolitical Eurasian affairs in a bigger way um, yeah. so. So they'll they'll try to get people into his administration on foreign policy um, who are neocons in order to help steer and make a pig's breakfast out of Trump's foreign policy, basically, and to force him. You may be right. I mean, yeah. you know, in his major foreign policy speech, uh, Trump said he wanted a world of peace and prosperity. You yes. Know? Yes. He has been outspoken in his criticism of the Middle East interventions. Uh, now, with John Bolton in charge, I'm afraid he's, you know, he's going <laughs> to 
take things in a very different direction. But, uh, you know, let's hope that Bolton doesn't get the job. A better bet would be uh, Jeff Sessions. Yeah, but you see, behind, behind the, Bolton... The closest to Ron Paul of, of uh, Republican senators, I believe, you know. Yes, uh, yeah, Sessions is... Um, yeah, yeah, he's a, yeah, he's a realist, right? He's a foreign yeah, policy yeah. realist. Exactly. I mean, already, you know, the, uh, we had the M, head of MI5 in Britain uh, appallingly the most disgusting bit of propaganda you can imagine with a headline, I think it was in the Daily Mail, saying that the chances of World War Three were now more likely under Trump. Really? When we all know that it was... Uh, it's been NATO with uh, Britain and America at the forefront that have been massing troops on the Russian border and doing the saber-rattling. Hillary's the one that was likening Putin to Hitler, the most absurd comparison of all time. And uh, she was the one calling for the no-fly zone in Syria. That's really, as we know, the, the tipping point in terms of uh, conflict uh, with the Russians. Contrast that with, as I say, Trump's fierce criticism of uh, current policy in the Middle East. It's something that actually won him a lot of fans and, and, you know, was very much highlighted as one of the reasons why all the neocons and Republicans deserted him. It wasn't just because of his peccadilloes, you know. Um, so, you know, is he going to be able to actually enforce his more... I wouldn't call it isolationist. You see, they're trying to paint him as an isolationist and say that's not possible. The head of NATO has said, no, 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 you can't be isolationist. You're the, you know, you're the president of America. You've got to stay tied into NATO. NATO is not an option. Pulling out of these wars kind of is not an option, you know. Trying to make it seem as if the existing State Department policy is the only one that can be followed. There is no alternative. There is no he alternative. So whether he can assert himself enough... To alter the State Department, alter NATO thinking, you know? Mm. I mean, personally, on a personal level, I mean, I think we saw pictures of his daughter with, with Putin's wife or something on holiday together, and um, I'm all set for the Trump-Putin bromance, you know? <laughs> wife swapping 2016? Well, there's certainly going to be... Um, <laughs> there's certainly going to be lots of sort of buddy-buddy... Uh, Boys talk and uh, arms round shoulders and hunting trips. And, do you know what I mean? And, the, the, the thing, the thing is, is, is Russia's military. Camp David. Who do you know what I mean? But I, yeah. you know, he has said he wants to be a good relationship with Putin. That he thinks he'll have a good relationship with Putin. The Russian foreign ministry was celebrating the night that he won. Apparently, they were absolutely thrilled. You know, so uh, I think their summits will be a sight to behold. You know, the big, the big difference between the U.S. and Russia is in, in terms of U.S., what they call national interests of the U.S. or American interests, um, have is, they're no longer geopolitical interests per se, um, nation-state versus nation-state, or like we saw in post-World War II. It's American interests are corporate interests. So right. in order for America's role in NATO is really an economic one, and the beneficiaries are the defense uh, industry and all the other tertiary industries that feed off of that. There's a certain amount of political leverage with that as well, in terms of shaping the, uh, you know, the, the 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 geopolitical and the cultural 
uh, demographic map of Europe and Asia, you know, creating migrant crises and so forth. But really, it's business. So if Trump wants to challenge the NATO narrative, um, he can only do that, I believe, uh, by preserving the bottom lines of Lockheed Martin, uh, Raytheon, General Dynamics, General Electric, and so on, and Boeing. Okay, as long as those are preserved, um, he can pull out of he can pull out of NATO. Um, as long as there's a path forward for profits for those uh, companies, I'm I'm sad to say I'm, I might sound cynical, but I think that's the priority. Russia doesn't have that sort of pressure on their government because their military is not designed for profit. Their military is designed for for you know for military operations. Basically, they only spend a, a tenth of what the United States spends in total on military things, affairs all around the world. So, uh, you know, there's a big difference there. So as long as he doesn't encroach on that bottom line, I think there's room to maneuver. But again, they're going to be looking down, you know, down the road. Uh, Shareholders, dividend holders, people like that. They want to make sure they're going to get paid uh, in 2030 when they hand their stock portfolio to their to their kids. Um, that's what Trump's up against in terms of U.S. foreign policy. It's so entrenched in the business side of things now. Well, what um, he said was that, you know, he wanted to spend more money on defense, which is itself a form of lunacy, frankly, in the United States. <laughs> yeah, how can you, you know? <laughs> but um, but, yeah. but, to, but to keep it at home, that it was going to be for defense so that nobody attacked us. I mean, that's... Sure. You know, that that yeah. was his position. So, for you know, from an economic... In terms of the military-industrial complex... They'll get lots of money and lots of orders, but it'll all stay at home. But mm-hmm. uh, as we know, these uh, the generals and things get itchy fingers. There's, what's the point of having this vast arsenal if you never use it? You know, so mm-hmm. whether it's under him or then subsequently his successor, somebody will start nudging them to start using it all again. Do you know what I mean? It was like, yeah, I mean, yeah. that was the whole thing about the peace dividend after the collapse of the Soviet Union was that we were supposed to see huge reductions in defense spending all over the world. That's right. And disarmament. That's right. Yeah, never. That didn't happen. So um, let's go well, look well, at the well, Iran. Well, let's look at this all to do with nine eleven and the. Uh, you know. Well, yeah, quickly, let's look at the, the the Iran deal. Okay, you mentioned that earlier. That's a big uh, piece on the on the board in terms of the uh, Trump uh, uh, platform uh, that he ran on. So when you see John Bolton calling for tearing up the Iran deal. And any anyone else who's put that forward behind them, you will find Israeli money, and you will find the Israeli lobby, yes. uh, because the whole the demonization of Iran is is by and large driven by two countries, uh, Israel and Saudi Arabia. Okay, yeah. is and and also the GCC uh, uh, Gulf Monarchy Arab uh, Oil Kingdoms, uh, Qatar, Bahrain, uh, the UAE, less so the UAE. Um, but Kuwait definitely. So they yeah. they want anything to basically keep Iran's uh, oil production uh, or an economic performance down is a good thing for the Gulf monarchs. For Israel, um, they look at Iran as their mortal enemy because Iran is helping to subsidize um, over traditionally uh, groups like Hezbollah, uh, who are protecting South Lebanon, who Israel would like to have. Uh, more land in South Lebanon, and they can't because of Hezbollah. And then Syria is also a beneficiary of the Iranian state as well. And so Israel's problems with Syria and Lebanon really stem uh, from their, uh, you know, from that. So 
um, in Iran. So it's 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 an Israeli policy that's being pushed through America through these various people like John Bolton and their PACs and and influencing uh, elections all over the country. Um, and this is really the yeah. goal of the Israeli lobby is to be able to influence the U.S. policymakers to make decisions that are in its benefit. Uh, so that's the problem. Well, the whole uh, the whole Trump Israel relationship. I mean, initially uh, he wasn't popular with them at all. He was due to go to Israel. That was that was cancelled. Um, he know, hasn't been to the wall yet. He hasn't been to the wall yet. He hasn't uh, done the thing. Uh, he yeah. has invited Netanyahu to uh, Trump to Tower, Putin, apparently already. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> it- but, uh, and of course, you know, originally he said he wanted to be even handed in negotiations between uh, the Palestinians and Israel. And that mm-hmm. brought no end of opprobrium, you know. Yeah. So uh, then he had to backtrack on that and went, uh, you know, scrabbling towards Israel. I believe he was backed, uh, talking about the billionaire. Hunters, I believe he was backed by Sheldon Adelson. He old. was, yes, that's correct. And uh, others claim that he uh, he got his start and made his money in Las Vegas uh, through associations and deals with the remnants of the Mylansky syndicate. You know, <laughs> I can't yes. verify that. You know, so it all gets very murky. You know. But um, the latest on the Iran deal, from their perspective anyway, is that uh, Rouhani has just come out and said that the results of the U.S. election have no effect on the publicis, on the policies of the Islamic Republic and of Iran. And that despite President-elect Donald Trump's campaign rhetoric that he would scrap the Iran deal or renegotiate its terms, Iran simply won't have it. Well, the, here, here's the thing that the, the Iran deal is only as good as the leverage. Um, yeah. And so if the rest of the international countries are not going to join in on sanctions, for instance, then the U.S. can say whatever it wants. It can tear it up if it wants. It can kick and scream until the cows come home. But if all the European countries and the uh, P5 plus one and all these other uh, stakeholding nations in that agreement don't aren't on board with uh, America's U-turn, then America can't, it can keep sanctions on Iran itself, but it, then it can't uh, go and attack every other country in the world for do, for trading with them. Uh, sure, well, I, I, mean, I think it's going to boil down to, you know, the extent to which Trump can actually call the shots, obviously, and then if he is calling the shots, what does he actually want? What kind of world does he actually want? You see, Reagan... Uh, you know, was very bellicose in his rhetoric prior to the uh, to the election in 1980. But in fact, it was during his tenure that the the Cold War was ended. He and uh, Gorbachev ended up uh, having a bit of a bromance, didn't they? Do you know what I mean? And the wall came down, and there was that was the sort of the start of the so-called peace dividend. You know, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and yet. And yet Reagan was perceived prior to his election as hawkish. But Reagan didn't actually want war at the end of the world. Do you know know what I mean? He didn't, you know. Um, And I think that I hope and believe that the same is true of Trump. Now, if I can just quote from Rouhani again, this is a very recent uh, pronouncement. Iran's policy for constructive engagement with the world and the lifting of nuclear-related sanctions have made our economic relations with all countries expanding. Okay. Now, 
uh, and irreversible, he added. Now, uh, as we've said, Trump's a deal maker. He's a businessman. I, you know, I don't think he's got some deep-seated ideological bent to destroy Iranian society and, you know, launch a war. I think he'd probably rather deal with these people and make money. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If possible. Uh, whether or not he can persuade Benjamin Netanyahu to adopt that stance is another matter altogether. Whether or not he can persuade the rest of the of the neocons in the Republican Party that peace and prosperity, including Iran and for the wider world for that matter, and Putin and all the rest of it, is the way to go and not this endless agenda of regime change. Do you know what I mean? This remains to be seen. So, we, you know, we need to know ultimately what kind of guy is he? Is that you know, and uh, then again, the extent to which he's actually able to assert his will over these established international political players. Yeah, yeah, and also you know, just the rumor is oilprice.com uh, this week. Just the rumor that Iran was raising oil production. You have to remember their refineries and their uh, capability in terms of uh, oil production and refinery is maybe thirty years behind. Uh, the rest of the world because of the lack of uh, uh, investment into that, um, you know, petroleum yeah. infrastructure and distribution and distribution channels. So just the rumor that they were uh, the announcement, the government said that they will be raising production caused oil prices to go down. Yeah. So, 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 you know, that's why the uh, that's why Saudi Arabia is, is doing what it's doing in Yemen. This is why they're repressing uh, the Shiite population in Bahrain. Uh, all those oil kingdoms are scared to death uh, because they don't want a big player to come into the market like Iran. Uh, this would be bad for their bottom line and maybe their standard of living, and it would uh, impede their ability to go to Monte Carlo and throw a million bucks on the roulette table when they're drunk on a Friday night um, with, like, you know, women in tow. So it, it's just a, it's a financial nightmare scenario for people like Saudi Arabia and the other uh, feudal uh, monarch theocracies who are all very good friends of Washington. It's, uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how all those balls, uh, as uh, the, the Trump administration takes starts to take shape, you know. What, what's Theresa May's, what, what's, the, what's Westminster, what's their, how are they going to engage with Trump? Uh, uh, obviously, you've got a kindred spirit in Boris Johnson, potentially, right? Well, the the hilarious thing and, and the thing that's got every British politician's back up is the fact that uh, the real winner is Nigel Farage. Oh, yeah, that's right. He's he's like a Cheshire cat right now on Fox News. I just saw him that's last the, night. That's, uh, he was built. He was actually captioned as the leader of the opposition. <laughs> he's pushing his book too. It's um, I th- he's doing really well with the book actually. Um, and a but, picture of him uh, in a gilded lift with the Donald, you know. But he flew over there and uh, stumped for Trump, if you remember. You know, he did. Uh, you know, oh, he's, yeah. he's on his behalf, and Trump likened his campaign to Brexit. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. a lot of parallels. We talked about that uh, beforehand, didn't we? Um, and uh, it, it's true. Many other pundits did, and they were right. There was uh, the unsilent majority, basically emerged. Um, for you know to provide a narrow victory, mind you, but still it's it's the people that didn't vote. It's the people who weren't active before, who became active. That's what the difference was uh, in both of those two elections. 
uh, Brexit and Trump. So that was the X factor that maybe wasn't calculated uh, in the polling. We can talk about skewed polling and so forth, but really, how can you poll for something that just didn't previ- previously exist? Um, huge problems for for the media, for the establishment, for the political operators. Um, you know, X factors and black swans and things like that um, is potentially can take you by surprise. Um, I'm sure that they're looking at ways to eliminate voting now after that, uh, after these two things. But um, uh, we'll see. We'll see how that pans out. Now, there's there's speaking of voting, there's a lot of reports, Basil, on both sides before the election. A lot of rhetoric uh, from Donald Trump as well as uh, others. But um, it's ironic that Trump made this big deal about voter fraud, election fraud. And people said, oh, well, you respect the results of the election. This was a big, uh, uh, you know, shock horror moment after the third debate. And he said, well, we'll see what happens. And everyone said, oh, my God, he won't respect the peaceful transition of power, this new term that's been invented this election season. And so they're likening us to a banana republic that, oh, we we're not respecting the peaceful transition of power. Trump's a fascist, etc. So he wins. And now. Uh, the Democrats and their supporters are out on the streets, uh, you know, burning and tearing up uh, parts of cities. Uh, and so they're not respecting the peaceful transition of power. So it's exactly as we predicted. We, and we also pointing, of course, to the, the fact that Hillary supposedly won the popular vote. That's right. Scrap the Electoral College. Move on. Dot org. Well, I've petition, seen other petition. figures today online saying Trump won the won the popular vote. Sixty nine. 69.9 to 69.2. But uh, here's the rub. The point is nobody really knows who won the popular vote. The whole thing is an absolute mess from start to finish. Uh, we've got, you know, PSYOP and counter PSYOP, all sorts of false reports. I mean, I've just found a fake ABC News Website. I saw that. Saying, that saying that Obama has signed Executive Order 13805, ordering a full recount of all votes cast in the election and calls for a special election to be held on December the 19th. And, and what's the URL on that? Is it abc.com.co or something like that? It's abcnews.com.co, yeah. Right. And so it looks like ABC News, it looks right? Like ABC's got the logo. Yeah, even yeah, they even aped the logo. There's a lot of this going around, and I'm, you know, I think Obama signed the order in response to the concerns of thousands of voters across the country who said that they were prevented from casting a ballot on election day. Too many absentee ballots have been found or have not been found or counted, as well as equipment failures and concerns that some members of the electoral college may have acted unethically. Now you've got to ask yourself, where is this coming from? You know. What's yeah. the agenda behind this? Uh, is it to keep the protests uh, and the riots going? Because, you know, friends said people only protest if they think they've got a chance of changing something. So is this in order to uh, embolden the protesters? Do you think it's a dog whistle, a sort of a dog whistle technique of getting an idea out that will never get traction because it's from a fake website, but it does put an idea out to both sides so that it works on the protester side, as you said, Basil, um, it will give them sort of some encouragement subconsciously that say anything's possible. They can overturn the election result by by marching long enough, right? And on the right side, it fuels the uh, the conspiracy that uh, Obama is going to yank the election out from under 
um, you know, the uh, the feat of uh, of a Trump victory. So it's he's very gonna... detailed. It goes on to say people all over the country. This is supposedly Obama. This is what it said to reporters. Right. I'm reading from quotes. People all over the country have been flooding my office with calls, telling my staff of horror stories about being harassed and intimidated by poll workers. Obama told reporters. Many have even said that they were flat out denied entry into the voting booths to cast their ballots if they were wearing a Hillary Clinton shirt or other signs showing support for her as president. This was especially bad in areas of Florida and North Carolina where there are high numbers of Latino and African American voters. We must investigate these claims. The margin of victory is too close to call and the outcome of this election is too important. There are just too many legal challenges in too many states to just call this a victory for Trump, end of quotes. I mean, you know. It's what? it's very deep. Well, that's going international, and people who aren't really that savvy from South America or from Asia or Europe, they might see that, and they might not know that that's a fake website with a fake story because it's crafted to make it look like it's real. Absolutely. So I, I think the I, mean, aud- I know people in America that have been taken in by it. I've heard second and third hand reports, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, the audience overwhelmingly would be target audience would be international. So there is a kind of an international campaign. Uh, one of them is being run by a George Soros funded uh, PR company called Purpose. And right. Purpose is also promoting the white helmets in Syria, uh, the Syria campaign. They're, they've been pushing for a no fly zone. And they're from Manhattan, and they're running this international. Donald Trump does not represent us, and it has a picture of all these different. Not my president, and all that. Yeah, yeah they've got you know, all the different ethnicities. The pictures are there. It's like a Benetton ad, but it's yeah. basically a political ad, and really perfect, uh, streamlined, very sophisticated marketing stuff. And what's so, interesting is that we didn't see any of this in '04 when Kerry was was genuinely robbed. Right. Know? Yeah. So. What first thing to note really is that usually you get a bit of a whisper of perhaps there was something funny about the election, but it's all swept under the carpet extremely quickly. Everybody says in America we vote on on election day and we respect the results despite the widespread evidence of election theft uh, numerous occasions. Right? Do you know what I mean? And very little about it, whether in mainstream media. Or any alternative media, for that matter, unless you really dug around and looked at the work of people like Mark Crispin Miller and Richard Charnin, who we'll come on to in a moment. Okay, so the fact that first Trump highlighted the possibility of fraud, and then was the question of whether he respect the result, as you pointed out. Now we're getting all these secondary stories the week after the event and the protests, completely unprecedented. You didn't get these protests in 2000 or 2004 when no. W got in, and he was arguably what certainly turned out to be a much more dangerous character than trump you know i mean he started wars you know uh yeah. you know we don't know you know trump has given in every indication that he doesn't want to start wars that he wants to stop them that remains to be seen but just interesting to contrast the two you know liberals absolutely outraged by trump's election but they accepted w yeah yeah that's right so the 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 internet is the difference um the social media the marketing it's much more developed and sophisticated and possibly, now the possibly uh, you know subterfuge of, of characters like soros and his foundations what do you think they're trying to achieve patrick what do you think soros what is soros's objective well in in terms of moveon.org um helping to uh, coordinate nationwide protests on the street simultaneously um the objective is clear it's to provide a overlay of uh, dissent uh, over the top of any reports of uh 
you know, Donald Trump there with President Obama having a good meeting, shaking hands, saying nice things about each other. Uh, Obama uh, talking to Trump, Trump talking to the Clintons, Clintons congratulating Trump on his victory. Uh, Donald talking to Bill, you know, all these things that were unheard of that would really disarm people to the, you know, who might be sort of militant militantly opposing Trump that would really sort of take the wind out of their sails. Most people haven't seen these reports. All they've seen is the protests. And so in a way it it delegitimizes the Trump transition and maintains his position as an illegitimate uh, president. And so, and also gives a platform for abolishing the electoral college, which moveon.org is pushing that out in a petition as well as other similar organizations and uh, so what you see is the Democratic grassroots machine at work uh, in its digital form and also in its brick-and-mortar form uh, on the ground uh, with AFL-CIO and other labor union organizers pulling high school kids out of, out of class to do marches against Trump this last week. I saw this right. in Phoenix. Okay, so these, these are out-of-state labor union organizers coming into state, taking kids out of class. Teachers and administrators are okay with it. Because they're all, I guess, voted for Clinton. So because they said the kids aren't old enough to vote. So we want to give them a chance to participate in the process. That's how they, 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 they described what they're doing with all these underage kids. Um, turning them into, you know, they're all out with signs and everything saying, not our president. And 16, 17-year-old kids. Um, it's uh, been a concerted attack on the Electoral College. Yes, uh, absolutely. Uh, with, with Clinton supporters actually hoping and petitioning and getting online petitions going for the Electoral College to, to, to vote Hillary in on the basis that she won the popular vote. Yeah, because they could, they could technically do that at, uh, at, the, at the National Convention. Um, I think when they, they go to cast their vote, I think, I think that's how it works. Um, so, yeah, you, yeah, but they tried this uh, many other times. Um, yeah. And to try to work the delegates, it's not going to happen. It's not going to wash because I think uh, the very last states to declare Arizona and Michigan have both given Trump narrow victories. That's uh, true. Meaning that he's actually won the Electoral College by a landslide. By a landslide. The other thing is this, Basil, I'm going to throw this out at the, you know, on this subject. The, uh, Hillary Clinton did win the popular vote by a by basically it's 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 a dead heat it's a tie almost nationally if you look in terms of the percentages but she won by a, a very small margin nationally in the popular vote but in that's all because of california in california she won roughly six million votes and trump got about three million okay so her without if you take california out which is the most populated state uh, which has the most amount of voters, the most amount of electoral votes, and so forth. You take that out, um, she doesn't have um, a, a very, you know, Trump has a very comfortable margin nationally. But California is the outlier. It's the huge weight on the scale. And so if you're judging a national mandate based on how California voted, um, which is basically one to two, uh, it's a very liberal state. Everybody knows that. It's Hollywood's there. Silicon Valley's there. It's the heartland of the Democrat, you know, a lot of the liberal Democratic America is California. Uh, you take that out, and it's a very different story. So the rest of America isn't going to accept that um, calls of a popular vote were really based on the California election um, that's weighing the scale all in, in her no, favor. Sure. 
it's, any it number does, of, it doesn't wash. Yeah. Sure, I've got any number of points to come back with. <laughs> yeah. yeah uh, go firstly, ahead. Even if those even if that popular vote tally is is accurate and or whatever, you know, the Clinton won the popular vote narrowly and, and you're right, uh, California does make a big has a big distorting effect on the national picture. Uh, in lots of states where uh, which are solidly Republican, particularly in the South, your Mississippi's, Alabama's, Louisiana's. Um, a lot of people don't bother to vote because they know the Republicans going to win. That's right. Yeah, and that's more the case, arguably, in those Republican strongholds than than in states where uh, Democrats are expected to win, or generally, because there are more utterly safe Republican states. Yes, yes, yeah. Well, you could make that argument the other way, too. You could say a lot of You could make it the other way, but I think it slightly favors, I think it slightly favors Trump, that argument. Currently, Uh, currently across the country, that would, yeah. But, you know, there's a lot of Republicans in California that don't vote because they just feel like it's a They think it's a waste of time. It's a waste of time because they know they're going to lose. Now, having said that, I've seen some stuff again we don't know whether these are psyop sites or complete nonsense or whatever saying that in fact trump had a huge majority trump actually won the election by a landslide 80 20 75 25 they did only look close because of huge efforts at rigging that trump even won california you know that clinton was utterly trounced in this election and and where who's who's reporting that again Jeff Renz. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, but what's the what's the primary source? Uh, well, that's you know, a he- very good question, and that's what the, you know that's what I've been looking for. Um, actually, of the you know our, our pet statistician Richard Charnin is leaning in that direction. Really? Uh, yeah, he's got all sorts of figures that basically say that uh, it should have been, uh, you know, or that. You know, that a lot of the results are implausible. Put it that way. The New Jersey, for example, mm-hmm. he's got a chance of seventy-seven billion to one that the actual result is the correct one. You know, are we to believe the New Jersey exit poll? Clinton won the poll by fifty-nine point eight to thirty-five point eight, so basically sixty to thirty-six, an eight hundred eighty thousand vote margin. Are we to believe she had sixty-seven percent of independents compared to twenty-eight percent for Trump? Right. I don't agree with. I don't think so. No, I'd she won surprised. the recorded vote, fifty-five to forty-two. But the recorded vote is never equal to the true vote. There is always a fraud factor. The true vote model estimates Clinton won New Jersey by fifty point seven to forty-six point four, much closer. Jill Stein had just one percent. Where did her votes go? Okay. Mm-hmm. Right, in a national exit poll, Clinton won 48 to 47.4. Trump won independence 48 to 42. So basically, uh, uh, Richard Charnin's argument is that, that Trump, if anything, has been deported by computer hacking, basically, of the electronic wow. machines. So that's so Richard Charnin's uh, his conclusion is that there was there was mass hacking and fraud, but it, it basically was directed against Donald Trump. That in this it was election. directed against Donald Trump, yes. Now, others, of course, well, if we rewind actually to before the election, first of all, and how, because there's so many facets to, this is why it's such a, such a farrago, you know, such a complete mess. There are so many facets, and 
agendas pulling in different directions. To start with, in 2013, the Supreme Court gutted the Voting Rights Act right, on behalf of, uh, at that time, a neocon Republican uh, agenda, you know. Under the direction of Chris Kobach, the Kansas Secretary of State, they created a system which purged 1.1 million Americans of color from the voter rolls of GOP-controlled states. This system, I'm, I'm, reading, I'm quoting here from a Greg Palace site called Crosscheck, is detailed in his Rolling Stone report, this GOP stealth war on voters, dated 24th of August 2016. So, Crosscheck in action. Michigan... Trump won by 13,100, yet 450,000 were purged from the rolls. In Arizona, Trump won by 85,000, yet 270,000 were purged from the voter rolls. And in North Carolina, Trump won by 177,000, but nearly 600,000 were purged from the voter rolls. So long before we've even got to election day, just who's allowed to vote, this was through stipulations like the requirement for photo ID uh, in order to be allowed to vote, you know. And a lot of older people, uh, people of colour, the poor, basically, who don't have voter ID because they don't have a driving licence, because they don't own a car, because they can't afford a car, and they don't have a passport because they never travel anywhere, were denied the chance to vote. Yeah. So, okay. yeah, Greg Palast. Yeah. Yeah. Journalist. And I think he's. I think he's. He's basically right about that. That's pretty irrefutable. Well, yeah. he 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 is he is on one hand, but there's another side to that to the argument he's making. And uh, you know, Greg Palast, in a former private investigator turned journalist, uh, really uh, came to uh, a prominence uh, in in terms of this subject of election fraud. Uh, when he worked for the BBC, so he, his biggest gigs have been outside of the U.S., and he worked for the BBC and covered the f- purging of 50,000-odd uh, uh, black people from the voter rolls in Florida uh, prior to the U.S. presidential election between Al Gore and George W. Bush. Right. And his, arg- his argument is that that swung uh, the, the election massively in favor of Bush, who ended up winning by an oh-so-narrow margin of 500-and-something-odd votes. That's right. uh, in Palm Springs, and that or he's saying that decided the election. And I, I totally get that narrative, and that you can make that point, but you can also make the point that f- 49 other states decided the election as well um, with with how the election went there. So there, there sure, can... but I just mean in terms of everybody, you know, supposedly every adult gets a vote. Do you know what I mean? And the whole well, votes, and that vote is counted once. And you know, in the electoral college, you 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 get your you get your winner. Do you know what well, I mean? With cross check, with cross check, let me just finish that point. So what he's uncovered there is the system of name matching that he says is uh, striking people, uh, mostly Latino people and people ethnic ethnic people, v- Vietnamese and so forth, off of voter rolls in a massive way. And that's been uh, brainchild by uh, Kovac there, the state secretary of Kansas, who's exactly. basically in, in the pocket of the Koch brothers. And so, right. but but so the, the problem... The, yeah. the, interesting, the, the ironic thing is that, that that was done by neocons, you know, effectively. Crosscheck was a neocon initiative in the assumption that it would be a neocon candidate in 2016. It would be a Jeb or a Ted Cruz or a Marco Rubio. And 
ironically, Trump has been the beneficiary of that. I think if they could do it again, they'd leave those people on the roll because they'd vote for Clinton. Well, he, the well, neocon candidate. You see what I mean? But here's the thing. Um, the problem with Palast's, uh argument is he only goes so deep, okay? And the point, uh, Trump got a huge, in fact, I'm going to say the people who put Trump to victory in Florida were Latinos, okay? Um, he got a huge, I think it was something like 35% in Florida, which are mainly Cuban Americans and Puerto Ricans. They have the same last names as Mexicans. Um, yeah. So did they purge them from the rolls? Obviously not, because more than one out of three voted for Donald Trump, um, a Republican. And you could you could say this across the country. Um, well, Trump actually did better among Latinos than Mitt Romney. Yeah, he did. He did. So my my thing is with Greg, Latinos admire successful people. So, so, but what I'm saying, let me finish the point on cross check. So yeah, if sorry. if if the neocons, uh, the Republicans, or the Cokes struck fifty six thousand people off the voter rolls in Florida, where are all these people? Did, did does that mean fifty fifty six thousand people went to the polls and got turned away? If they did, they should certainly all be marching on Tallahassee, the capital of Florida. And demanding their right, maybe a class action lawsuit. I mean, there's plenty of uh, social justice lawyers out there who uh, have equal as- access to justice grants available from the federal government. They could easily do a class action lawsuit against multiple parties. Um, so where are all right, these? Yes, where are the lawsuits? You're right. Where, where, are, the, where are the people? Palace uh, said a million outside people the, outside the uh, state house saying, "I didn't get to vote." Do you know what so I mean? Palace said one million people were were taken off uh, nationwide in this election. So there's a million people out there that he he says have been turned away from the polls. But in reality, a million wouldn't have even if they were struck off because not everybody votes. A voter turnout, you know, roughly half of all eligible adults will actually go out to vote. So, but that's still five hundred thousand people. Theoretically, that Palast is accusing of having been disenfranchised. Okay, so where are they? And this is my problem with uh, with the Palast investigation. Is a lot of it's theor- theoretical. He's throwing out some big numbers. I don't. I don't disagree with him that there's a Republican scam going on with uh, Crosscheck because it does look dodgy. But certainly, you've had a you've had a Democratic president in for eight years. And you've had a Democratic Department of Justice. Is this not made it to the DOJ? Is this not made it to the uh, FBI in in all these years? And 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 so and then Palace might say it's a bipartisan plot to you know suppress uh, all votes on all sides. And then it, it starts getting really murky at that point. The argument. Mm. So I, that's my problem. Is I have a hard time following him on that. Mm. But yeah, um, no, but, all fair enough. Yeah, I mean. Let's listen to him real quick. He's on the uh, on the uh, Michigan State House by the four hundred and fifty thousand who'd been disenfranchised to say, "Where's my vote?" Do you know what I mean? Because that would be powerful, Half wouldn't it? Well, ten percent of them turned up. Surely that would be a news item. Do you know what I mean? Or do they? Well, yeah. Um, so, so let's listen to this clip by Palast. So he's talking about the bipartisan side now. He's saying how Dem- Democrats and Republicans are both involved in this. So I just want to play this short Palast clip. We've got it queued up at, I think, 32 minutes, 24 seconds in to his uh, cross-check mother load uh, video, which you can find up at YouTube if you'd like. But go ahead and listen to this real quick and let's just hear his commentary. Democrats don't have a leg to stand on and complaining about Trump's little election games because the Democrats do it too. Unfortunately, 
while the Republicans go after black people and Latinos and Asian Americans and young people and poor people, the Democrats go after black people and Latinos and Asian Americans and poor people and students. Why? Because Democratic thievery occurs almost entirely in primaries. And so the current Democratic establishment cannot possibly get elected if everyone got to vote. In fact, I saw some of the worst vote suppression, vote thievery I've ever seen in California in June of this year when there were thousands when, excuse me, when there were literally one million votes never tallied in the state of California because of complexities created by the Democratic leadership of the state. So, for example, in California, three out of four independent voters, they call them NPP voters, were in favor of Bernie Sanders, whereas two out, out of three Democratic regulars were for Hillary Clinton. So all they had to do was get rid of those independent voters and Hillary Clinton wins. How did they do that? Well, in order to cast a ballot in the Democratic primary, if you're an independent voter, which you're allowed to do, you had to get a special ballot called an NPP crossover Democratic Party ballot. In some counties, if you didn't ask for the NPP crossover Democratic Party ballot, you didn't get a ballot at all. Or they gave you a provisional ballot. Now, you're not entitled to a provisional ballot if you are, in fact, uh, entitled to a regular ballot, so your provisional ballot is thrown out. There were nearly a million of those. On top of it, hundreds of thousands of independent voters were given Democratic Party ballots, which did not have the little crossover designation on it. So the little old lady behind the desk gave you a ballot, which was then thrown away after you cast it. In all, Sanders voters found that three-quarters of a million of their votes were never tallied. Now, about 400,000, 500,000 of Hillary's voters weren't tallied because you can't be that exact when you start throwing ballots out the window. But all in all, it looks to me as if Sanders probably won the California primary. We'll never know because you know what? They still haven't counted the votes. Okay, so there's, there's Palace. What do you think of that, uh, Basil? Well, he's, he's, he's hit the nail on the head. I mean, it, it's uh, been well documented how completely bent the uh, Democratic primaries were, you know. <laughs> how, uh, so, so check this out, Basil. So all the protesters out are all Bernie supporters. I've seen them on the news. I voted for Bernie, then I voted for Hillary, you know. So they're basically they're burners, right? So sh- shouldn't they be venting their anger at the Democratic Party machine? Absolutely. The, the, Absolutely. I mean, so what, why are they scapegoating I mean, Donald it, Trump? For, for the I mean, failure of Bernie Sanders. The, the, the Sanders campaign, to start with, he was ignored by the mainstream media. People forget that now. If you go back to the early primaries, they didn't pay any attention to him at all. Like Ron Paul, he was just an outcast. Like Dennis Kucinich, you know, they did. How the media just decide who's a top-tier candidate, who's to be taken seriously. And there was no, you know, as far as the mainstream media were concerned... For the Democratic nomination, there was no contest. It was Hillary's. That was it. You know what I mean? From the beginning. From the beginning. Only by the sheer numbers of his grassroots movement and all the rest of it did he manage to actually start getting, you know, some interviews on the major networks and, you know. But even then, he, you know, she was given 25 times as much 
exposure as he was. So we, we, you know, we start with that. And then throughout the primary process, he was, he was robbed by, by the DNC and often by, um, the state parties as well. Remember the punch up in Las Vegas? Yes. Yes. And they wouldn't let his supporters in. He was robbed in Iowa, in New York. Uh, you know, there were no, uh, voting machines in Brooklyn. Yeah, he uh, won Iowa. He won the Iowa caucuses, but they reported that Hillary won. But that's then, right. They gave the, yeah, that's right. And then, plus the whole superdelegates nonsense. Yeah, and that well, that's the biggest scam of all in the Democratic Party. And so, the, right. so the what? So the bottom line here, Basil, the, these the kids, the millennials out who are raising Cain over uh, Donald Trump's victory, um, they really should be focusing their anger on the Democratic uh, elite. Because they're the ones who took their man of the people. Sanders was a man of the people. He was their he was the insurgent candidate. Yeah. He was their Donald Trump. Yeah, and they they robbed him of the nomination. Yeah. Absolutely, well, the Republicans 100%. did their best to rob Donald Trump as well. You know, they did. Yeah, shenanigans going on there, but but uh, he was an unstoppable force. You know, he was uh, an art- he drove an articulated truck. Through the through the Republican uh-huh. nomination process, and he, he, he was helped by the fact it was a crowded field of non-entities. You know, oh, he and, punched his but, way through. And, but <laughs> the others fought, all fought amongst themselves. Yeah. Uh, whereas uh, on the Democratic side, it was uh, it was a, simply a coronation. You know, well, the, the the Republican primaries was classic. Basil is all all his competitors. There were sixteen people that came out initially. And they all basically were trying to undercut each other because none of them thought that Trump would be uh, a serious contender. <laughs> so they all took each other out. And then, then whoever – Exactly. And then Donald started taking them out as soon as the, the, the field got thinned down. It was just a classic um, – uh, he, he literally brawled his way through the whole process. Yeah. And I mean came, that's the whole point. No, nobody's to say that Trump won't be entirely co-opted by the establishment now he's got in the White House. But 12 months ago, nobody saw this coming. You know, there's yeah. no way anybody can pretend that the Trump election was all part of some great plan. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. For better or worse, you know. I mean, I remember saying 12 months ago, it's going to be Bush v. Clinton, you know. Uh, that way, the dynasty, you know, it's just a question of which wing of the dynasty you want. Do you know what I mean? Um, well, look, but, we got... Uh, We've had something, you know, we've had something very different. So back to this whole election fraud thing, anyway. Um, there you Take your point there about Palace. Have you got the clip from Michael Moore there? Because that relates to what Mark Crispin Miller is saying and this bizarre anomaly that in Michigan, 90,000 people voted up and down the ticket for every other candidate in issue, but didn't vote for president. What's that all about? That's obviously a complete nonsense. Okay, yeah, we got that queued up Michael Moore clip. This was from uh, Morning Joe on NBC. I, uh, full disclosure, I don't watch this program. I just got this off uh, off the internet, so I don't watch MSNBC that often. Um, but uh, go ahead and roll. This is the queued up. I think it's at a minute and 40. Uh, it begins. But let's hear what Moore has to say. Go ahead. She lost by 11,000 votes in Michigan. 90,000 Michiganders voted, voted, voted for every office and every ballot proposal on both sides of the ballot 
and refused to vote for president. Wow. They couldn't vote for Trump. Right. They knew that was wrong. But they they were not going to participate in this in what they saw as as a system yeah. that had 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 left them forgotten yeah. and at bay. And that was the end of that for Flint and Detroit and the state of Michigan. And I was there, I was there up until two AM on election morning holding rallies, trying to turn it around on my own. I'm not part of the campaign. I was just doing my own thing. And and I could see that this wasn't going to happen. One month after a lot of people did. I said, okay, okay. this man is going to be the what, so, so what do you make of that? What he well, said there about it. Nonsense. And Mark Crispin Miller's right to point it out. I mean, uh, Moore is trying to say that 90,000 people deliberately refused to vote either for Hillary or Trump. Now that's no something he possibly couldn't he couldn't possibly know that. So where is that coming from? What's going on here? What are we what are we looking at? Well, 90,000 votes have been have been deleted effectively. Right. You know, they, those 90,000 voted for somebody, but you know, somebody pressed delete. So so who is so who, part of the ticket? So the big question here, another big question, we'll get back to the actual, you know, case here. But who is Michael Moore that he would go on national TV and make a statement that uh, somehow 90,000 people had a secret pact in Michigan not to vote for any candidate for president. Yeah. Um, and who is this guy that he's so stupid, or is does he know what's going on, and this is all part of a, a larger ruse? What do you think, what are we looking at here? A very good question, Patrick, and to be honest, I have absolutely no idea. And were those 90,000 uh michiganders who apparently didn't vote for president were they clinton votes or were they trump votes trump ended up winning by 13,000 just 13,000 in the whole of the state of michigan so if it was uh if it was a uh an anti-trump hack you would think they'd go the whole hog and steal enough to swing it for hillary you know what i mean mm-hmm. what would be the point of taking 90,000 votes away from trump if he still wins by 13,000 Unless they thought that 90 would do the trick. Would be enough. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because they didn't calculate old Eddie. Eddie up there in northern Michigan with his uh, gun rack on the back of his pickup truck. Eddie, who didn't vote in the last four elections. Right. And and maybe that's why. Uh, you know, so this is, the again, back to the X factor. But I think you're right, Basil. It, you know, it's, it just could have been a Hillary swipe, um, which didn't make it past the finish line and if you look at the finish line you know like the whole campaign of hers really exactly. didn't it didn't yes. cross or it could have been it could conceivably have been docking docking hillary a coke, or, a coke brother of course a coke it, brother could just been, it could have just been a mix-up you know okay so so let's roughly evenly distributed but obviously it's a complete nonsense that ninety thousand people as we did more yeah. said, vote for every other candidate up and down the ticket, but don't vote for for president. And it's pathetic, really, that Morning Joe don't go into then more forensic analysis of that. <laughs> Hang on a minute, this is a nonsense. Instead, the, instead Joe Scarborough, you know, leans back in his chair and sort of goes, oh, wow, isn't that extraordinary? <laughs> 90,000 people in Michigan couldn't bring themselves to endorse either. Oh, don't hold your breath. Don't hold your breath that any of these uh, TV network guys will ever go into a forensic investigation to anything. They just sit back and go, yes, they nod or they say, oh, like like Joe did there. But Anderson Cooper does the same thing. The people present them with basically slam dunks every day on those shows and then just they just carry on the interview. You know, it's like, oh, that's a. 
Uh, well, we don't have time to really talk about that. Um, so how are the children, you know, how are the dogs? But so in terms of the of a Republican hack, uh, traditionally people would think that Diabold machines, and they've, I believe, rebranded to other, uh, they've gotten other brands and various other electronic voting companies have come in there. But yes. incredi- incredibly easy to manipulate. I want you to listen to this clip. Uh, this is Princeton. Two Princeton University students are basically showing us how to hack the Diebold machines um, and how simple it is. This is electronic voting from from Princeton. This is a couple of years old, but still relevant today. This is based on the touch screens, but you also could translate into the scanning uh, ballot machines as well. But go ahead and roll this. Listen to this. Election fraud. There's a lot at stake. Control of the American government, control of the economy, control of the military. When there's a lot at stake, there's an incentive to fraud. The difference between our history of fraud and computerized fraud is that with computerized fraud, you can set up a program that basically gives you the number of votes you need. Switches, deletes, adds, without leaving a trace. Computer professionals pretty much agree that the system is tremendously vulnerable. I'm Alex Halderman. I'm a graduate student at Princeton University. I'm Ari Feldman, and I'm also a graduate student at Princeton University. My interests are computer security and technology policy. This machine has two locks, one that covers both the power switch and the memory card slot. And the memory card slot is really all that's needed to um, introduce malicious software on the machine. All someone would need is uh, access to one of these machines for one minute. Alex over here, who has modest locksmithing skills, is able to pick it in under 10 seconds. All right, so that was very hard. This machine has already been infected with our vote-stealing uh, software, and uh, there won't be any signs in, that, in the pre-election testing that the machine is infected. Now we're ready to run our election. This is uh, the race for President of the United States. The candidates are George Washington and Benedict Arnold. They walked me through the election. And so we can cast a vote for George Washington and then press next. I'm going to cast my vote for George Washington as well. And again, George Washington, father of our country. Uh, I, I think I favor him over most notorious traitor. And, all right, so... um, So now we have three votes for George Washington? That's right. The total so far is three votes for George Washington, no votes for Benedict Arnold. Now election day is over. We're going to end the election and print out the totals. And we see the total. One vote for George Washington, two votes for Benedict Arnold. How did this happen? Our demonstration vote-stealing software running inside the machine switched two of the votes from George Washington to Benedict Arnold. It switched all of the records, so there's no way to go back now and find out that the actual result was three votes for George. The Diebold AccuVote TS voting machine that the Princeton team hacked is an earlier version of the machines currently in use in Allentown. I'm Levi Price. I'm the chief of staff at Lehigh County. And you were the one who purchased the new Diebold voting machines. I was involved in the purchasing. When we looked at those, we looked at the possibility of tampering. We changed the passwords for each election. The password didn't stop us for more than a few seconds. One, you have to have the technological capability of altering the software. 
The memory card is just a standard off-the-shelf memory card that you use in your digital camera. The smart cards you can buy over the internet. We have 700 separate machines. Each of those 700 separate machines is locked with a different key. You don't need to break to do is infect one or a small number of machines and then the virus and your malicious vote stealing software will spread from machine to machine during normal election procedures. But what if we had a paper trail for the touchscreen machines? Would that make them more reliable? There is no reason to trust a, a touchscreen or DRE system with or without a paper trail, period. You can hack the paper trails as easily as you can the internal numbers. Matt Bishop is one of the foremost experts in the world on computer security. Many of the vulnerabilities can be exploited in a very straightforward manner. Meaning it's not too hard. Meaning it's not hard at all. <laughs> are the elections being rigged? Yes, our evidence shows that they are. Evidence like the 2004 presidential recount results in Ohio. Jesse Tendler was a regional coordinator for that recount. I was in charge of about 10 different counties. Not only was there a discrepancy between the hand recount and the original certified vote, in most cases there was also a discrepancy between the hand recount and the machine recount um, in every precinct in every county. That's a little confusing, so let's look at it carefully. In almost every precinct he was involved in, there was a difference between the hand count and the machine count. Here are some of the differences. In Bradford Village, the official certified machine count had three votes more than the hand count. In Piqua 2A, the machine count had eight votes more. Troy 3E, 14 votes more. The machine seems to be adding a small number of votes each time, but could those small changes really have mattered? The differences are absolutely meaningful differences. Difference of six votes per precinct could change the results of the entire election. Wow. What do you think of that? If you, you know, look, do the math, you just have to take a, a, a penny from here, a penny from there, and you've got a million bucks. Exactly. You know? I mean, that's why anybody with any sense is saying you've got to go back to hand-counted paper ballots. I mean, who, would, who would want to do electronic voting after watching that, listening to that segment? Really? And you need a, you know, you need a, an old-fashioned independent institution like the League of Women Voters or something who used to mm. run the presidential debates to administer it all. You know, yep. You want the blue-stocking old ladies sat in town halls counting the votes by hand and on paper. Do you know what I mean? And That's right. Having, having it all verified by uh, U.S. marshals or something. Do you, you know, yes. this is a complete not. This is a complete nonsense. You know? Yeah. It's, it, it is amazing how people and would have... more you wait a couple of days to add up all the votes before you declare the winner. You know, this sort of like uh, the network's desperate to declare these states, do you know what I mean, on the night, you know. Well, what to, you... On the basis of exit polls and, and projections of only one or two percent of the vote do you know, that's been counted, you know, one or two percent of what could quite possibly be a completely distorted vote. I mean, that's how... Uh, Bush basically managed to steal Florida in 2000 was that Fox News called it for him first, you know, and he hung yeah. on to it, you know. Yeah. If, 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 the, if the network hadn't called it for him first and it had been a moot point who won the state from then on, then I think Gore might have ended up with it because, it, you know, but it became embedded in the public idea that, oh, actually, Bush has got it. So it became Gore's job to take it back from him. Do you see what I mean? But here's the amazing thing about uh, the whole electronic voting adoption is it came in mass adoption 
came in on the back of the pretext was the Florida discrepancy of the hanging chads. So it was the, it was the, you know, the, the debacle in Florida that caused the national uh, rollout of even more dangerous and fraud ridden electronic voting systems. Yeah. That's the point of this. And I never hear this addressed um, throughout any of the pundits or the media coverage. People don't question it. They just think, oh, yeah, well, electronic voting, well, yep, maybe it can be hacked, but hey, uh, we need it. Why do we need it? Well, because of Florida in 2000. So how stupid, you know? Yeah. At at this point, you know, I'm just like, what is the the real true IQ of the American population? People can't be that dumb. I just think that they're blitzed with media coverage and all these talking heads that fill their heads with um, this, you know, strange... Uh, version of reality. Uh, I, I think people have just succumbed to the propaganda that they get on a daily basis. Who on their right mind would accept an electronic voting system? Anybody who works in computers wouldn't accept it if they were serious about democracy because they know how easy it is to hack anything. Yeah. So, but, um, so what's, char- what's, um, what's Mark Crispin Miller saying uh, about Trump uh, and the other voting irregularities or is he riffing off of greg palace's work mainly or no, he's saying that exit polls there's a discrepancy between exit polls in ohio and florida uh, and north carolina which show clinton ahead in those states and that uh, that it was rigged for trump you know well my, my, who, who's conducting so far but who's conducting the exit polls the same people who conducted well, this is it the polls before the election. So if we this if we couldn't it. trust them before, all the so, information has become so unreliable. You know, so from, you know, he could be right, Basil. He could be right. He could be right, but he could be wrong yeah. too. He could be wrong as well. So it's a, it's a tough one. You need an evidence. You need a smoking gun. And Greg Pallast, you know, with crosscheck, he ha- he doesn't have a smoking gun. Um, he has a system. He has a theory of mass purges, but you know, where are the, you know, where are all these people? And apparently he he has some of these people. Um, but how, how can this have not made it through the legal system? Unless as, as palace says, it's a bipartisan conspiracy to basically, um, you know, everyone's purging voters all the time. It seems a bit chaotic though. I, I think it's fair to say that American presidential elections have become chaotic. They've become a Farago, uh, of a sort of almost a, a, a beer hall putsch, you know, it's uh, <laughs> somebody sort of grabs power, don't they, at the end of the night, you know, by yeah. virtue of a, a series of shenanigans and basically being able to uh, outflank their opponent. You know what I mean? It's, I love that term, a beer hall putsch. I love, <laughs> I love the vision of that. It's just so brilliant. Yeah, it's like Brothers Grimm, you know, I love that. Beer hall so, uh, latest from Soros before we wrap up. Apparently, um, George Soros cannot be reconciled with the victory of Donald Trump's presidential election. Uh, and he gathered a large number of extremely rich, rich liberals and influential ones at the uh, luxurious Mandarin Oriental in Washington at a three-day meeting to try and find ways to sabotage Trump's term, says the prominent magazine Policy. The conference began on Sunday, as quoted by 
by uh, Politico magazine, which is a, a Russian paper, the main sponsor of the meeting of the so-called Democratic Alliance. Soros is the main sponsor. In addition to the overwhelming anti-Trump-minded businessmen, the meeting was attended by political officials such as Nancy Pelosi and Senator Elizabeth Warren and others. Where is this printed? So the go- goes on. This is a. Uh, you'll find it on uh, your chums. What really happened? dot com. Right, but but the original source. Um, uh, it's called po- uh, 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 a Russian magazine called Policy, which is also known. Oh God! Yeah. Is it a, it's a second-rate source. Is it? It could very well be. Yeah. It could very well be. Yeah. But then yeah. again, everybody else is fingering Soros as the architect of all the. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, the unrest, you know. Yeah, well, look, um, what we can... He wants Obama to declare martial law, you know. Well, look, what we can prove with regards to Soros is that he's pumped a lot of money into quite a few uh, community organizing front organizations that are uh, completely affiliated and aligned with the Democratic Party, mainly uh, Mm moveon.org is one of those... uh, Things And so through the Open Society Foundation, he spread his money around. So he has a, a network, uh, international network, uh, a machine of opinion forming, uh, public perception shaping, uh, digital media uh, network uh, with many different uh, outlets all coordinating uh, very closely with one party. Um, so the, so you have two Americas, Basil. On the on the on the left, you have you know people like George Soros, the main donor to the Clinton campaign, and on the right, the traditional right, you have like the Koch brothers, for instance, um, and uh, you know the Paul Singers of the world, big donors to the conservative uh, politicians, Republicans mainly. Okay, below Soros, you have this. He, he's a he's an absolute anarchist, free marketeer. Okay, um, open borders. Uh, open markets, um, but then he's also pushing and funding a lot of Marxist groups that are very statist and uh, very much, uh, you know, authoritarian, communist, uh, utopian vision of the future, atheist groups. Uh, so there's a, there's a social agenda there. There's a socialist agenda, a communist agenda under Soros. But ironically, Soros just likes open markets so he can do what he likes um, with his money where he's basically the king of a, right. of a global feudal society. And then the Koch brothers, uh, you know, n- conservative, neoconservative, Christian. So there's a definite social agenda there, free market capitalism, etc. So you have these seemingly two dual forces backing the majority of the sort of two-party uh, American binary system. Uh, including also funding opposition groups and the Libertarian Party, and I'm sure their money makes it into all the other groups, the Green Party, and so forth, uh, so they can control the opposition on any third, fourth emerging parties. Um, But that's two Americas. But is it really one America at the top of the billionaire class? I mean, are they that different when you get to the top of the tree? Certainly the leaves are different, but when you get to the tree... No, I don't think they are. I really do think they're essentially uh, just different factions of the same cartel, you know. Uh, And I think Trump, certainly at the moment at least, does appear to be from a a different cartel, put it that way, you know. Mm. 
He's a nationalist, first and foremost. It's all, you know, he claims... A populist, least, a populist nationalist. A populist yeah. and a nationalist, exactly. And he, he claims, at least, to want to put the interests of the American people first. Now, that is not the Koch brothers or Soros at all. They put themselves first, and they put making their money first, and they don't really care what happens to the great American unwashed at all. I might be wrong, but I get the impression that that uh, Trump has a degree more benevolence to him and uh, wants to see the lot of the average American improve, you know, mm-hmm. uh, which is not something that I think is of any interest to Soros or the Koch brothers. So that's where they differ now, whether or not that is indeed the case or whether Trump is as selfish as others make out he is. This is, you know, as with his foreign policy, this this all remains to be seen, you know. He's certainly the most patriotic uh, president since probably Ronald Reagan in terms of, yeah. you know, populist patriotism. There's, there's definitely, uh, you know, he got a lot of uh, Reagan Democrats to vote for him because he had something of the Reagan about him. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The outsider as well, you know, although Reagan had been governor of California, he was still best known as an actor and uh, and. Uh, you know, was seen as a Washington outsider, and that definitely helped Trump. Mm-hmm. Well, fact, going f- an independent celebrity, you, you know. Yeah. Well, look, going forward, um, just last minute, we're going to wrap up uh, this edition of On the QT Special Edition, post-election, post-mortem U.S. election edition uh, of On the QT. This is also uh, available to everybody at 21wire.tv and at uh, alternatecurrentradio.com, a special edition, full episode. But um, before we go, Basil, last last words going forward. Um, well, we don't, you know, uh, we've gone through the election quite forensically, I think, quite <laughs> the voting and the process and uh, whether or not Trump legitimately... Uh, won it, or whether, you know, he did it by default or whatever, you know, who knows? Nobody knows, you know. Um, the, the U.S. presidential elections are such a mess, but there was certainly a sort of tidal wave of support for what he embodied that has now carried him to the White House. Going forward, uh, it's anybody's guess the extent to which he has the courage of his convictions or the extent to which he's co-opted by the establishment to, to, to toe the party line. You know, he's got a Republican House and Senate, so he's got untrammeled power should he choose to use it. He's got Paul Ryan eating out of the palm of his hand, you know. Uh, <laughs> Mitch McConnell looks completely nonplussed by the whole thing, can't quite work out how all this has come about, you know. Mm. Um but Trump represents a very different type of Republican from those that have held sway over the last 25 years. That's the thing. Can he find enough like-minded people to gather around him to pursue an independent agenda? Or is he going to get squashed by the neocon machine? That's, yeah. that's you know, that's what, what remains to be seen. Of course, the, the, the massively controversial thing is his appointment of, uh, of Bannon, as uh, his chief policy advisor, the former chief executive of of Breitbart, yeah, Stephen yeah. Bannon, and uh, his uh, previously held opinions and associations, which are causing the biggest Twitter storm at the moment, and the opprobrium of 
liberals and neocons alike because we have somebody from what is nowadays referred to as the alt-right apparently advising the president-elect. Yes. Well, I, you know, listen, I think, <laughs> well put, Basil, well put. And, you know, the, the, the liberal Twitter storm, um, I think you got to do a rally check. If you think that uh, Steve Bannon might be advising Donald Trump, but if you think for a second that um, he's telling Trump what to do, um, I don't think Donald Trump has that sort of relationship with Steve Bannon. I think Donald Trump uh, sees people like Bannon as very skilled operators, uh, very talented communicators, good at what they do. Yes, he does have a certain political bent to it, um, but I think it's also he's continuing the strategy of winning because Trump realizes something that uh, a lot of people might not realize. He Trump knows he's still campaigning, Basil. And so he still needs his campaign stronghold together because he's not done. He has to win over uh, uh, more of the American people in order to be able to govern. Right. I I think Donald Trump understands that. That's why his cabinet reflects the campaign. Normally, you don't see that in politics. Normally, it's just a lot of it's new people um, that are coming in for specific positions. And maybe he'll rotate these guys out um, after 18 months, which also is common in Washington as well. So, but certainly right now it's still siege mentality. I think it's batting down the hatches, you know, and incoming fire. Um, he's still got to, I, I think he's aware of that. I, I do think he knows he's under fire. He hasn't, he's, he hasn't just said, ah, I want it. I'm just going to, you know, pound my way through the uh, legislative agenda for the next 12 months. I don't think it's that simple. And I think he knows that. So hence he's got people, uh, in these positions um, who helped with the incoming fire during the campaign, which was heavy, by the way. Yeah, I think he wants people around him who he feels he can trust and who supported him when the when times were rough. It's as simple as that, you know, because a month ago nobody gave him a cat in hell's chance. You know? <laughs> yeah. So these Loyalty. people were prepared to stick by him. He He's going to reward. And apparently that's his character. He, you know, he, he rewards loyalty as a businessman and uh, he punishes those who cross him, you know, so... Yeah, well, it'll be interesting. Certainly, we'll look forward to it. I'm sure we're going to have more conversations about this. This It's a very interesting political cycle, uh, and we're discussing it with Basil Valentine. Thanks, Basil, for your for joining us this week. Pleasure. And and uh, we'll see you on the on the Sunday show on the Sunday Wire. I'm sure in the in the future, there'll be a lot to talk about. No doubt, there's going to be no shortage of uh, uh, stories flying in. Uh, off the wires on this one and so plenty of ammo and material but uh, basil valentine piping in from london to talk about the u.s election historic election uh with donald trump uh overcoming the establishment favorite hillary clinton so that's our show for this fortnight uh keep an eye out for other podcasts uh which we'll have out in the coming weeks um, so do join and think about becoming a member and a subscriber and a member at 21wire.tv. We've got premium content. Uh, this podcast, our new current affairs show, Insight, as well. The first season's up at, for members. Uh, uh, and also a new show, uh, which we'll be launching next week, uh, Drive by Wire, which is a video commute show with uh, Sean Helton uh, and myself uh, from 21st Century Wire and other content as well, which we're helping to roll out. We do that. We need your support to do that. So do think about, we'd love you to subscribe and become a member. And you'll get this podcast uh, for members only as well. 
second half uh, in future episodes. So we'd love to have you on board. But thank you so much. Again, this is Patrick Henningsen. You're listening to On the QT at 21wire.tv.